I just feel like the Lord wants to be really tender with us this morning. And um, yeah, I've got some things that I want to share, but I just feel like I just want to share pastorally a little bit. Just and let's see, just see where this goes. And that's fine. Yeah. Um, but I just feel that the Holy Spirit is saying just across this room, and if you can, you can stand or you can sit, it doesn't matter. He's just saying to some people, it's time to come out of the shadows. I shared a really similar words on Thursday, Thursday morning church. Um, but there's some people here, you need to hear that this morning. It's time to come out of the shadows. It's time to, to stop living in shame. Stop living in guilt and, and fear. It's time to come back to your first love. It's just been such a beautiful sense of the Holy Spirit talking to us. Just that song that Mattia led us in just before the last one. Just reminded me of those verses in Luke 7, where Jesus is at Simon the Pharisee's house. And, um, and this woman's there, isn't she? And she's pouring out the, you know, her tears on Jesus' feet. And, um, and I don't know about you, but if I'd been in that gathering, I think I would have felt a bit weird, a bit awkward. So this woman is crying at Jesus' feet and she's using her tears to wash his feet. And then she takes her hair and she dries his feet with her hair. This is incredible extravagance. And, and Jesus, in one of his discerning moments, he says uh, to Simon, because he knew exactly what Simon was thinking. Simon was thinking probably what I was thinking. Why, do you not know this woman's background? Do you not know that this woman is a prostitute? That she spent her life for, for lots of men? Do you not know that? Do you not see that, Jesus? If you understood what this woman was like, you wouldn't let her do this. But Jesus in a Jesus kind of way. <laughs> He's so good at this, isn't he? He said, Simon, ever since I arrived, she's been washing my feet. You've not given me any water to wash my feet. She's dried my feet. She's kissed my head. You've not done any of those things. She loves much because she's been forgiven much. She loves much because she's been forgiven much. And some, some of us just need to get in touch with the fact that Jesus has forgiven us a lot. And I, and I, I thought about this story. And I just, the more I think about it, I realize that this woman's not been forgiven any more than I have. I was just as far from Jesus as this woman was. And so were you. And somehow we feel that we can with entitlement come to Jesus and think, well, actually, I'm not so bad as the next person. I'm not as bad as this woman. And it's rubbish because we all need forgiveness. We're all being separated from Jesus. And you know what? When we get in touch with that reality that we've been forgiven much, our worship of him starts to just expand exponentially. She loves much because she's been forgiven much. Oh, I know some of you are still standing. If you want to sit, that's fine. If you guys want to leave, you can. Because I just think I'm going to ramble for a bit. This is working now. 
I just want to I just want to talk just from from some scriptures. So, and a bit later on, I've asked Carrie to come and share as well. But we're we're around this. You are what you love, and it's just been ringing in my ears all morning. You are what you love, and my heart and my hope is that I love Jesus so much. I don't know if you were here last week, but I thought when Lucy just shared on her love for the poor, I just realised that comes out of her love for Jesus. Comes out of her love for Jesus. And this week I want to talk about our love for serving, our heart to serve. You know, we can't genuinely serve unless we love Jesus. Our love for Jesus causes there to be an action and a reaction in us. But just thinking about this woman who'd been forgiven much, I'd also just been thinking about Peter. You know, he really royally messed up. He said to Jesus, I'm going to be there right to the end. Remember when Jesus said he's going to go to the cross, he was going to die. And, you know, and Peter in his Peter kind of way said, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to go with you all the way to the end. I will be there, Jesus. You know, whatever these guys do, I'm going to be there. And we know what happens. That he got to the courtyards of the high priest's house and he's warming himself at the fire and someone says, you were with Jesus, weren't you? And he said, no, I don't, I don't know Jesus. And I, and, I, and I have a feeling that in this room today, and I'd probably put my hand up as well, that there's been a bit of a moment this week when, I said, when I've kind of said, I don't know whether I know Jesus. Where I didn't, I didn't allow my love for him just to, to cascade out of me. And I want it to. And I want it to... Because I know he, how, just how much he has forgiven me. And I don't know about Peter, but I've got the feeling that Peter just felt rubbish after he denied Jesus. Three times he denied him and the rooster crowed. And he would have felt, oh no, I've just completely messed up. And I've felt that so many times. I've completely messed up. And there's a bunch of you in this room today who are just feeling I've royally messed up. I've known that Jesus has called me, he's set his affection on me, I know that he's redeemed me, he's forgiven me, but I've just gone my own way and I've just, I've just backed out of life, I've backed out of church, I've backed out of my relationship with God, I've royally messed up. And this morning I just have a wonderful, incredible, strong sense from our Father God that he's saying, come out of the shadows, I'm bringing you back. And um, I love it that Jesus did that in Galilee with Peter. And I just want to read a few verses from John 21. I'm just going to share a few thoughts. And then I'm going to ask Carrie to come up and, and just share. So we're in John chapter, chapter 21 and verses 1 to 14. And I just want us to, to learn some stuff together. And I'm just going to inter, interject with some thoughts. So if it's okay with you, I just want to kind of chat and just talk some stuff, think, stuff through with you. So verses 1 to 3 first. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter was there. Jesus had risen from the dead. He'd met Simon and one or two others at the tomb. And he said to them, I want to meet you in Galilee. And so Simon and a bunch of the other guys go across to Galilee 
to the Sea of Tiberias. So Simon Peter's there. Thomas, you know, the doubting one. He's there. Nathaniel, he's there. He's the deserting one. He's in Galilee. And the sons of Zebedee, James and John. In fact, it's John who's, written, who's writing this, this, this story that we're reading now. And then two others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I'm going fishing. Isn't it funny how we resign to the things that we're familiar with when we, we move away from Jesus? Peter was familiar with fishing. He was a fisherman. And so often when we feel like we've just messed up, when we feel like we're not in favour with Jesus anymore, we often just go back to the familiar. And that's what Peter did. He said, Let, I'm going fishing. Jesus said, I'll meet you in Galilee. And Peter said, I'm, I'm going fishing. I, I can't stand what's going on in my head at the moment. I'm going fishing. And they said, we will go with you. And they went out into the boat but that night they caught nothing. You know, when we mess up, we're tempted to go back to our boats and our fishing nets and our fish, all the things that we kind of rely on. We somehow disqualify ourselves from the mission that Jesus has given us. And there's a bunch of you in this room today, I've, I just know there is, and you've just disqualified yourself. You've kicked yourself into touch. And you say, you know, I'm out of this game. And you know what, by the end of today, I just want you to know you're back in the game. That Jesus has got a purpose for us. I don't know, I, I'm, I was brought up before iPads and smartphones. I don't know if anybody else was. <laughs> and um, the nearest thing I had to an iPad was an Etch-a-Sketch. <laughs> Do you remember those, those kind of red framed TV things with the white knobs? I was quite good at them. You know, if you could coordinate it, you could actually make the little cursor go around the corner. I, the thing I loved about Etch-a-Sketch is that when you made a mistake, you could turn it on its head and you could just shake it. And it would completely reset. I wish I could do that, don't you? You know, when I came to Christ, when, when I, and the times that I've been a Christian and following Christ, there's so many times I wish I could, I wish I could take the red Etch-a-Sketch and just shake it and reset or there was a reset button on my brain that was just, let's click that. Back to zero, start afresh. But it's not like that. It's not like that. But there's so many times we just need the Holy Spirit to reset something in us. And he wants to do that today. You know, what is our familiar? Where do we go to when we feel disqualified? You know one thing that Jesus does, and he's so good at doing it, he reminds us, of his call on our lives, he restores us to himself and he recommissions us for his purposes. Let me just carry on reading this story. Verses four to six. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Don't you just love the fact that Jesus says to these burly fishermen, children, do you have any fish? I love that about Jesus because that's what he's saying to, to us this morning. Children. Children. Do you have any fish? And Jesus knows they haven't. 
And they answered him, no, he said, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now there was not, they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. You know, this, this miracle is exactly the same as the miracle that took place in, in Luke chapter 5, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Peter was in that miracle as well. They'd been fishing all night. They hadn't caught a thing. And Jesus from the shore says to them, just go out, throw your net out again. And they caught a load of fish. So many fish, the nets began to split and they, had to, they used two boats to bring the fish in. It's two and a half years later. It's the time that Jesus has risen from the dead. It's the, it's the end of, G, of Peter's time with Jesus. And isn't it wonderful that Jesus uses the same miracle to get through to Peter? I love the way he does that. He brings us right back to the beginning. Time and time again, he does that. He brings us right back and he reminds us, remember, I told you to follow me. I called you to follow me, to love me, to live your life for me, to serve me, to give yourself to me. Nothing's changed, Peter. Even though you've denied me, even though you, you royally messed up, even though you've blown it, I want you to know that I'm here on this shore and I'm talking to you. Cast your net out on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Jesus reminds us that apart from him we can do nothing. We can toil all night and we can do nothing. Both times Peter has to express his faith with concrete action. He has to do what Jesus says. Both times Jesus calls Peter to leave his catch of fish behind and start fishing for a better kind of catch. Jesus repeats the miracle to prove he's not finished with Peter. Verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, this is John, he's talking about, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came, into the, came in on the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, just about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it. And bread, and Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon went aboard and they hauled the net ashore, full of large fish. And get this, there were 153 of them. Isn't it amazing that he remembered that? 153 large fish. I mean, John wrote this, this would have been a few years after it happened. And John remembered there were 150. I don't know if there's any significance. Martin will probably tell me there's a significance in in the number 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them. And so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. I love the fact that Peter rushes toward Jesus. Because if you're anything like me, often when I've messed up, I want to go away from Jesus. I want to 
Flee from Jesus. But, Je- but Peter in that moment said, I'm going for Jesus. He gets out of the boat, he puts his outer garment on, which is a bit strange. You'd think he would take, it, you know, take as many clothes off as he possibly could within reason and, and go for Jesus. And that's what he does. He runs to Jesus. And we need to be like that. And I think some of us need to be like that this morning, to run to Jesus. And you know, when we do run to Jesus, we find that Jesus has got breakfast for us. He's so good at that. He's so good at serving us. And when I thought about this story, this was the first time that Peter would have been near a charcoal fire. The last time was when he was in the high high priest's courtyards when he denied Jesus. And there's Jesus on the beach of the Sea of Galilee and he's got a charcoal fire and the smells of the barbecue. Everything within Peter would have, been, would have probably been reminded of the day that he denied Jesus. They turned his face to, uh, against Jesus. But Jesus is there on the beach and he's saying, welcome back. Jesus meets us right in our mess. He meets us right where we are. And he says, you know what? I'm reminding you that things haven't changed. The things I spoke to you in the light are just the same as they are in the shadows. The promises I made to you in the good days are the same promises I keep when the storms are around you. And this wonderful Jesus of ours welcomes us back in. He not only welcomes us, but he's cooking fish. And I love the fact that he's got these fish from somewhere. It's not from the boat. They hadn't arrived back with the fish yet. So Jesus has either gone to the fishmongers before he's arrived at the beach or he's just done what Jesus can do. He just creates things. He makes something out of nothing. It just reminds me the last time that Jesus had fish and bread. He fed about 20,000 people that day. 5,000 men were fed. And that's what Jesus does. He feeds us. He brings us right back to where we mess up. And he feeds us. And he gives us a new start and reminds us that he is the bread of life. He took the bread and he gave it to them. And he does that to you. And he's not expelling us. He's drawing us in. He's not running away from us. He's running to us. He's saying, I've not finished with you yet. And then just finally, I just want to read these verses 15 to 19. And when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I love the fact that Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? He's so gentle with Peter, even though Peter had denied Jesus three times. Jesus comes to Peter 
And I can imagine them walking on the, on the, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is saying to, to Peter, do you love me? You know, our love never stays in the abstract. It always has legs. It always takes action. It always creates within us a desire to want to, um, to serve. Three times Peter asks, or Jesus asks Peter if he, if he loves him, one for each of his previous denials. Three times Jesus asks him to prove it by the way he loves his body of believers. And for, for people here this morning, the Lord is saying, I think the Lord is saying to us, do you love me? If you remember back right from the beginning, I said, if you've been forgiven much, you love much. When you realise just how much you've been forgiven, you love. And here's Peter being restored to Jesus, knowing that he's been forgiven, been brought into the fold, being accepted by the one that he'd rejected. Jesus accepted him. He's saying, Jesus is saying to him, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these fishing boats? Do you love me more than the fish? Do you love me more than the nets? Do you love me more than these other disciples? I think that's what the Lord's saying to us today. Do you love me? Yes, you may have messed up. We may have made mistakes, but Jesus is right there restoring us to himself, reminding us of the call of God on our lives, reminding us that he's not finished with us yet. And he's saying, do you love me? And when he reminds us, he restores us to himself. And then he recommissions us and he says, if you love me, feed my sheep. And you've got to understand that Jesus loves his flock. He said, I will lay down my life for my sheep. This is, this is not just a, you know, a flock from another pasture. These are Jesus' sheep. These are Jesus' lambs. These are the ones that he loves, that he gave himself for. And, he, and Jesus is saying to Peter, the one that rejected him, he's saying, if you love me, will you feed my lambs? Will you care for my sheep? Will you make sure you leave them to pasture? Will you feed them? And he says it to us. If you love me, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus is asking us to get back on the journey of service with him. And it comes out of love. Carrie is such a gift to us here as a church. She leads our amazing focus parent and toddler group. She has got a massive heart for Jesus. In fact, she inspires me to love Jesus just through her actions, through her words, through the way she, she connects with people. And she does a brilliant job in what she does in serving at Focus. And I've just asked her just to, to finish off with some things today. Over to you, Kerry. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. I don't usually get to see you all from this angle. You guys are a beautiful church. Did you know that? You are beautiful. As Andy said, um, our team and I run the Focus Toddler Group and we serve our community in that way. And I just want you to know that my usual audience are about this tall and a lot noisier than you, so be patient with me. I'm a little bit nervous being up here this morning. Now, some of you will know what it is that we do at Focus and some of you don't, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about that this morning if that's okay. So you might hear the words toddler group and you might think some other words. You might think mess noise, toddlers obviously, 
playgroup, nursery rhymes, and toys. But I just want to share some words with you that more, um, are more relevant to what it is that we actually do. So, love, mission, community, relationship, family, connection, serving, evangelism, pastoral care, prayer, ministry, support, safe place, lifeline, home. Actually, we don't run a toddler group. We are in the mission field. And our mission field, which is our community in Eastbourne, they come to us. They willingly walk into this building every week. They get to hear the word of God spoken through Bible stories when we share them. We get to meet their emotional, spiritual, and physical needs where we can. We are a ministry. We pastorally care for these families through their difficult seasons, their grief, their illnesses, their relationship breakdowns, and we hold their hands and encourage them as they raise their children. Our arms are ready for when they need a hug. If you know me, I love a hug. We offer advice where we can, and we pray for them as often as they allow it. And at the center of everything that we do is love. We are home. This incredible thing that we call Focus has been running for over 20 years. And as Clive said the other week, I stand on the shoulders of giants, of those who came before and carved out this path ahead of me. Focus has been home to so many families over all of those years. And even though they left us when their children went to school, they still remember their time with us as a place of being home. Now, let me throw some numbers at you, okay? You ready? We have 287 names on our register. 287 people come through our doors every week. To break that down for you, that's 122 families. And to break that down for you again, that's 40 families that come roughly each session. And we run three sessions over the week. Now, we may have 287 families, but we have extras that come in as well. We have aunties and we have sisters. We have grandparents and we have the other parent and friends as well. So we actually get to love and care for more than those 287. And if you think about the households that those people belong to, we actually impact far more than that. Now, there's a lot that needs to happen to facilitate all that we do at Focus. The practical things, so we set up, we have a sign-in desk, we have a craft table, we have um, tidying up and pack up that needs to happen. But also we need team to do the one-on-one, -on -one, the loving, the caring, the listening, the praying, the hugging. Now, let me ask you a question. How many team members do you think it takes to run a session to do the practical stuff, as well as the one-on-one, the, -on -one, the listening, the sitting, and the taking time? For 40 families, which equates to about 97 people. How many people? Just have a think about that. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Sorry, I just lost my place there. Just bear with me, guys. Um, okay, the best way to describe what we do at Focus is to serve our families by loving them. We do this by building a relationship with them as we do life with them. And while they're with us, we do all of this in the hope that we can love them into a relationship with Jesus. Now that you know what it is that we do at Focus, let me tell you how I came to serve at Focus. My family and I had just moved from Australia to the UK, and the way that God provided for us was nothing short of miraculous. 
We joined Kings and I had time on my hands and I wanted to give my time in a really worthwhile way. I was so grateful to God for his provision for us and also this incredible church that we had landed in. It was amazing. And my response was to action. And somehow I found myself in the most unlikely of places. You guessed it, here at Focus. I've been serving now for five and a half years and leading for three. The really interesting thing here that you probably don't know is that when I was first asked to help at Focus, I didn't want to do it. In fact, I actually said no. <laughs> I did, I said no. I was not interested in working with other people's toddlers. Um, and apart from having my own kids, I'd never worked with children before. I was sure that I was not going to enjoy it at all, and I wasn't qualified. And yet, and yet it was the place that I needed to be. The Lord used focus to give me a place to belong, to be loved, and he used focus to grow me and shape me in so many ways. Let's take a look at what Jesus says about serving. So the verses that Andy shared, when Jesus reinstates Peter, are such a great example of how we can do this and what it means to serve. We've all heard it said that love is a doing word. Love requires action, doesn't it? Otherwise, they're just words. In these verses, Jesus teaches Peter that his love for him requires action. When Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, and Peter responded with, Lord, you know I do. Jesus extends him an invitation as to how to go about that. He said, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. So he was saying, take care of those new Christians, tend them, love them. Take care of the, the established ones established in their faith, take care of them. Look after my sheep. And he needed Peter to take care of the church by providing for them, teaching them, being with them. Jesus' life is the ultimate example we have of what it means to serve. We don't need to look any further than that. When we serve, we are being Christ-like, and by following him, we are walking um, and following in the way that he lived his life. I'm just gonna have a little drink here for a second. Serving is a daily choice. My incredible team and I know the importance of, it, of the work that we do. We make a choice every day that we show up to serve in any way that we can. We set up, we put the toys out, we make the coffee, we prepare the craft table, we prepare our space, and then the real work begins. We know that what we do is much bigger than what our hands are busy with. <clears throat> and, sorry, we, uh, we make the choice to serve the way we do because we know that our work has eternal consequences. Serving is costly like it was for Jesus and his disciples and the Christians at the time. For us too, serving is costly. When we choose to serve, it costs us in time and energy, among other things. For my team and I, serving at Focus is very costly. We do what we do out of a love for the Lord and for them. But sometimes I get to the end of the week and at the end of term and I am just worn out. And Jesus knew more than anyone what a sacrifice and a cost it was to serve. When we serve others wholeheartedly for the Lord, we are never walking more closely in his footsteps than that. The wonderful thing about the work that we do when we serve is that it has eternal purposes beyond what we can see or measure. Did you know that? Serving is worship. When we action our love of Jesus in the way that we serve, it is an outward expression of our worship of him. Have you ever thought of it that way? It's an external expression of our worship when we serve. 
Sometimes serving can feel like an expectation of our time or something that we have to do. But perhaps by changing our thoughts around it, we can change our hearts towards it. When we give to the Lord in a way that is costly to us, it costs us. That is such a precious gift to the Lord. He sees that as so valuable. I want to tell you some surprising things about serving. Are you ready? When I began serving at Focus all those years ago, I thought I was doing them a favour. But every time I gave hours and energy, I actually received more than I gave. I was loved, I was valued, I was given a place to belong when I needed it most. And it gave me connection that I didn't even know that I was missing. Serving blesses you in ways that you don't expect. It allows God to grow and shape us. It gives God an opportunity to put new people in your life. He can use our serving to open doors and lead us in ways we never imagined. I'm a perfect example of this. If you had said to me five years ago, Carrie, you're going to be running Focus one day, I would never have believed you. It's amazing. Sometimes the only qualification we need is our strengths, the things that we're already naturally good at, the gifts that God's given us, but really it's just to love people. That's it. Bottom line, that's it. When we choose to put our love for the Lord in action, there is this beautiful transaction that happens between us and him. The Lord allows our serving to connect us to each other as a church family, but also us as a church to our community. I love the verse that Lucy shared last week in Isaiah 58 verse 12. In the message translation it said, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate to make the community livable again. When we serve our community, we are rebuilding and restoring. By meeting the needs of others, we are restoring Eastbourne and making it livable again. And that's the work that we do in Focus. When we are supporting our families through those hard years, we're helping them to parent well. We give advice when we can, we seek it for them when we don't have it. We are building their network of people in their relationship with us and as a church, but also with each other. Now, let's talk about those numbers again. Do you remember that question I asked you? How many team members do you think it takes to run a focus session with 40 families or 97 people? So, at the moment, on average, we have five team members to do the practical stuff and the one-on-one -on -one stuff. And if you're good at numbers, you know that that doesn't really work. We need more people to do the relationship building, the loving, the caring. The practical stuff kind of sorts itself out. And sometimes, I'm just going to be honest, sometimes I get to the end of a, a session and I didn't get to talk to the people that I really need to talk to because there's just so many of them, which is amazing, but just not enough of us. And I want to take a moment to honour my incredible team because they work so hard. Those that have gone before us and those that are with us now, our team are so amazing. And do you know what? Without them, it just wouldn't happen. Focus wouldn't even be possible. So I just want to honour you guys today. Thank you. I love you. <laughs> yep. And our team and I are so passionate about what we do, but there is just so much for us to carry as a team. There's just not enough of us. We need more willing hearts and people to come and build those relationships. You know, it's not our job to lead people to Jesus. That's his responsibility. But we are all a part of that journey to them meeting Jesus by the way that we love and serve.
Right, I'm just going to wrap this up and do a little recap because I love to tie things up into a neat bow. What is serving? Serving is love in action. Serving is expressing our worship in practical ways. Serving is meeting the needs of others around us. Serving is being the hands and feet of Jesus. Serving is being Christ-like and following his example. Serving is giving out of what the Lord has given you. Serving is a gift to others and to us as well. If you remember one thing that I have shared this morning, let it be this. If you're not serving, you are missing out. And people are missing out on you. Serving is costly, but from an eternal perspective, it is so worth the investment of your time and of yourself. I'm going to hand back over to Andy now. If anything that is, I've shared with you this morning, if you have, if you felt inspired to come and join our team, I'd love to talk to you. Thanks, Andy. Thank you. There's going to be an opportunity just at the end for, for anyone who wants to find out more about focus and a number of other areas that you can serve in the life of this church. You can talk to Carrie and talk to others. I'll let you know a little bit about that in a bit. I just want to rewind right back to the beginning of where we started um, just at the beginning of this talk. We love much because we've been forgiven much. We've been forgiven because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. When we realise just how much we've been forgiven, it causes us to love. But love never stays in the abstract. Love has legs. Love takes action. Love feeds, cares for, nurtures, disciples, loves others. I want us to, to break bread together. I'm going to ask the musicians to come back, the team to come back, and we're going to, we're going to worship again. And we're going to just take this opportunity. And what I'd love us to do today is just to go to um, the various stations. There's one here uh, on the front, there's another one here in the corner, and then one at the back, and then the, the rear over here as well. Why don't you, what, I, what I'd love us to do as we do this, why don't you go and get the, the bread and the wine, bring it back to your seat. You know a prayer that I want us to pray, and it's a prayer that I've been praying a lot over the last few days is, Lord, will you give me a wider and a deeper understanding of your forgiveness of me? Because, I, Lord, when I see how much you've forgiven me, Lord, I know I will love more. I will love you more, and I will love others more. So let's do that. Let's just take this moment. The band will just lead us through in a song, just to go to the stations, take the time, bring the juice and the, and the bread back to your seat, and just, just pray that prayer, Lord, Help me to see, open my eyes to your forgiveness.